I should never listen to the podcast. No, because we'll just have to keep restarting the <laughs> intro again and again and again. This is The Word on the Hill. Welcome, everybody. We are the Lanky Guys. My name is Scott Powell. And I'm Father Peter Mussett. We are the Lanky Guys. <laughs> In case you didn't hear that <laughs> the first time. In case you didn't hear me the first time. <laughs> and and uh, we, we've been discussing here. I've been sitting here with Scott. And um, I think that I want to do like a mini series spinoff of the podcast. Do you really have the energy to do that? No, but I but like I listen to these other podcasts and they do it. And but I that's wa- like their full time job. I know, and I want to make podcasts. I know, but I want to like keep up with the Joneses, man. And the podcasting uh, world is is an interesting the and wonderful world. Being Ira Glass, being I- Ira Glass, keep up with the glasses. You know, Chad Abumrand. You know, Chad Abumrand. <laughs> yeah, dude. Robert I, Robert Crawlwich. I have a theory that you have to have an absurd name to work on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think about yeah, it? Yeah, dude. That's. I think you're right. Anyway, I am. I am. Um, um, we could do a very special episode of the Lanky. Dude, I'm. I'm very excited today. Today is. Tell me why. Um, you tell me told why. Me you're tell me why. Because um, of your appliances. Yeah, dude. Oh I, shoot. I blew your. You, you, I blew no, your no, exciting no, news. No, you knew because I've already proclaimed my I excitement know. so thoroughly. Well, I was I was upset that there was something you were excited about that you didn't tell me about. Yeah, so but I know. Yeah, what, what's happened is we've been working on a kitchen renovation, which has been wonderful. Not you and I. Not not we. we. It's so funny because I I tell people yeah like I've been working on renovating my kitchen and they're like you're doing all the work <laughs> and I'm like no no no, no. no I just <laughs> I just I just beat on construction workers that's my that's my job. Like Pharaoh. Like Pharaoh, you will now do. This this without drywall. Oh, I get. I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And so the, you have to make drywall without plaster. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, without gypsum. <laughs> <laughs> gypsum. Yeah, that's what it is. That's a gypsum board. So today well, is uh, leading us into the twentieth Sunday in ordinary time. Can you believe it's a twentieth Sunday? No, not at all, dude. The where does but the, the first time starts go? way before Christmas. So yeah. that's why it's not as exciting. Well, it yeah. hasn't like been twenty weeks. Well, it probably has. Anyway, it's the twentieth Sunday of Ordinary Time, which is also um, for those of you who keep up is Saint Ma- Maximilian Kolbe's feast day. No, it doesn't say that on uh, here. Well, it's August fourteenth. It's not actually his feast day because Sunday trumps all. Oh, but if, if, oh, if, yeah, if you know, right. if you know, Kolb, August fourteenth. Shoot, that's awesome. Which August fifteenth is a very good and holy day. If you don't know what it is, it's then white on the calendar. Why are you white? It's the oh, of course, August fifteenth. I knew that. I know. Come just, on, dude. Your mind was in the scriptural realm. Sure, we'll go with that. Speaking of the scriptural yep. realm, um, our first reading today is Uber. from Jeremiah. Fair enough. I mean, if you pronounce J's like H's, you're cooler. Or the Greek chai. Chai. Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah, uh, 38th, 48th, 36th, and 8th. Excuse me. (laughs) Chapter 38, verses 4 through 6, skipping to 8 through 10. Did you read verse 7? I did not read verse 7. It's a very boring verse. That's why they skipped it. (laughs) I was like, what did they leave out? And it was just somebody's really long name and title. All right. Uh, Our our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 40, verse 2, 3, 4, and 18. And the responsorial itself is from verse 14b. Dude, somebody asked me what my favorite scripture was yesterday, and the very first one came to my mind was a psalm. Which which one? Psalm 19. Oh, Psalm 19. 
Yeah, because I believe in the sovereignty of God. But that's not our second reading. Nope. Our second reading is Hebrews 12, 1 through 4. Mm, Dude, indeed. I'll tell you, these are some short readings, but they are power-packed. Well, let me tell you. All right, our gospel reading, also short, is coming from Luke chapter 12, verses, uh, what is that, 49 through 53. My mic is in just the place where it's really hard to see the readings. Oh, you got your little telephone. Why don't you just scoot it down? You you have microphone stand problems every single time we do this podcast. Except when I set up and I give you this microphone stand. (laughs) (laughs) But otherwise. Aha. Aha. Dude, um, I I was thinking, gosh, we need like... We need like some intro when we're gonna like. I almost want like a musical jingle that we could like press in between when we're done reading these things, and it's like the lanky guy, like a commercial break. Yeah, no, no, just it's not a commercial break. It's just like literally like a two second like a woman singing something. <laughs> I don't know. I just like that's what other podcasts do. Do they? I think I'd have to hear it to know what you're talking um, about exactly. I trust you because you would know podcast yeah, art group therapy with up above and beyond. I've been listening to to techno podcasts, and and then they like every once in a while they'll, they'll just like in the middle of the song they'll be like group therapy with above and beyond. I think that's like an FCC rule where you have to like identify station, station identification. identification. But we don't have that. <laughs> I mean, we can pretend we had rules and laws that govern this podcast dude let's but then that would change a lot (laughs) let's pretend today that there's rules and laws that govern this podcast let's pause for station identification you're listening to lanky guys on 101.1 easy jazz (laughs) dude kuvo is like one of the longest standing old jazz only radio stations in the country i was reading an article about it on the daily camera (laughs) kuvo 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 Okay, right. we got to get this. The, uh, the Bacellis are like upset, man. They're like, they've come stopped. on, stop messing around. They've stopped listening. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. Uh, Jeremiah, I mean, by this point in the podcast. Oh, yeah. Okay, the first reading. Here's, here's, what do we say about this? This is difficult. Dude, this um, is harder. I mean, let, let's just contextualize it. It's the 38th chapter. So we've had a lot of action happening with Jeremiah for a while now. Yes. Good, good contextualization. <laughs> Dude, I mean, come on. <laughs> There's basic no, elements there that, we, that we can for, forget. There is a lot. That's already happened. There is a lot of chapters. <laughs> Dude, you're... That's what you said. I know. That's essentially what you said. I know. And I think that, I'm, I think that it's it's it's. Ad- but people were... I'm sure people were... Until I made fun of you, people were all like, oh, yeah. I see what he's, he's a priest. He knows what he's talking about. Oh, my god. No, dude, if they listen to this podcast at all, they're, 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 like, they're like, oh, poor Father Peter. He's, he's subjected again to revealing no. his ignorance no. in front of oh, thousands no. of people in a simultaneous oh, moment. Oh, my gosh. It was just a funny way to do context. <laughs> all right. In those days. So this is, okay, here's what you need to know about this part of Jeremiah. This is. It's the 38th <laughs> chapter. <laughs> yes. Okay. But here's the thing. There's like 50 something chapters in Jeremiah, right? There's 50, what is it, 53 chapters? It, no, you guys don't care. I think there's 53 chapters. <laughs> it doesn't matter to what I'm about to say. Okay. There's 53 chapters, but the bad stuff happens now. Yes. This is the end, which is surprising because you're like, but there's like 20 something more chapters. There's kind of a litany of messages and, and um, lamentations that kind of come after this. But in the next chapter is when Jerusalem falls. So 
the context of Jeremiah is that Jeremiah has been this kind of lone voice trying to convince the world, trying to convince the kings and the rulers and the people of Jerusalem that if they don't turn around, if they don't change their ways, their city is going to fall. They're going to lose what God gave to them. They're going to be punished. They're going to be hauled off in exile. Things are going to be really, really bad. Jeremiah is the one who actually says those same words that Jesus said. Jesus quotes Jeremiah when he says, you have made this temple into a den of robbers, a den of thieves, right? He's quoting Jeremiah who said the same thing. And Jeremiah keeps saying, unless you turn back to God, things are going to get really, really bad for you. Right. And instead, things get really, really bad for Jeremiah. And because obviously he's giving a very unpopular message. He's not very rah-rah, we're great, everything's super. Well, he's he, like burying his underwear in a wall and <laughs> marrying harlots and stuff. I mean, like the guy's... Yeah, guy's he's, got, he's got a stuff. rough go. He does. Yeah, he's got to like do all these really like extravagant like outward action, prophetic he actions. Does. Most of the prophets do, or a lot of the prophets do. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah, are, uh, I mean, he gets a special portion. He does. He he gets a lot. But here is where okay. So so if the theme of Jeremiah's preaching and prophesying up to this point has basically been if you don't turn back, then there's going to be punishment. Basically, he's been giving an if-then, right? If you turn back to God, then things will go better. If you turn around, then you'll be spared of these things. If you don't, then there'll be punishment, right? It's always the if-then. The if-thens have now basically stopped. And it's, it's coming, get ready to bear down and get ready for this to happen. It was in chapter 34, I think, that we got the turning point. The, the crux of this whole book comes in chapter 34 and it's not well known. People have not studied this enough because this is everything. It's in chapter 34 that the king finally begins to get it through his head that the Babylonians really are beating down their gate. There really is trouble coming. They really are about to be punished and there's not going to be this kind of miraculous last minute intervention. God can do that, but it's really looking bad. And basically what Jeremiah's complaint is, God's complaint through Jeremiah, is that they're putting all their faith in the temple in the sense of they're saying, well, we're we're God's people. We've got this temple. We've got his presence. We're Jerusalem. Nothing's going to happen to us. We can basically do whatever we want to mm. because we're God's chosen people. So what is it, what are they going to do? We're the people of God. And he's like, no, you can't use me as like a, a rabbit's foot. You know, we're not a, it's not a magic trick. <laughs> you know, isn't that like a lucky, a lucky yeah, charm? Yeah, yeah lucky <laughs> charm. I mean, you can't use me as a lucky charm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But th- that's what they're trying to do. And they're like, no, we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want to because we've got the temple. And if the presence of God is in there, then we're fine. Now, Ezekiel actually shows us this moment when the presence of God literally leaves the temple. And they're like, uh-oh, that's not good. We don't get that in Jeremiah, but... Here's what happens in Jeremiah. The Babylonians are coming closer and closer. They're destroying all the outlying villages and stuff. They're beginning to beat down the walls to the city. And the king finally starts to get it through his mind that, okay, this is really bad. Something's about to happen. So he commands the people to proclaim a jubilee. Well, he proclaims a jubilee year. Do you remember the concept of jubilee? The Pope just called for a jubilee year. Absolutely. Jubilee is, is 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 a reset. It's it's, yeah. you, you give back ancestral land, you free the slaves, you, you um, release debt. It's, it's basically a year of release. So exactly, exactly the things you said. You release slaves, you release land back, you release debt. And the idea was, was you remember when the, when the Jubilee year was first commanded in the Old Testament? Because um, the context of that matters too. Isn't that, uh, well, I mean... Well, you, what major event had just happened when God tells them to have a Jubilee? I don't know. The Exodus. 
Usually, uh, the, the easy answer is usually going to be the excess, 90% of the time. Yeah, except for whenever I answer it, yeah, you're it's like, going to be something else. It's going to be something else. That's <laughs> the ball of the, t- of the Tower of Salaam. <laughs> anyway, but, 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 but it actually makes sense. So think about it. What did God do in the Exodus? He began to give his people land. He released them from their slavery in Egypt, and he freed them from the debt of their work to Pharaoh. Oh. Weren't you just making a joke? Was that on the podcast or before the podcast where you were talking about being Pharaoh with your construction? Oh, <laughs> that, yeah, yes. Yeah, this huge debt of work that they put on them. Right. The Exodus was them being released from those three things. So God is saying, I've released you from your slavery. I've freed you from your debt, and I'm beginning to give you a land that is your own. So if you understand what I've done for you, you ought to do it for one another. So every forty, every fifty years, every forty ninth year, it's it's debated whether it was the forty ninth or the fifty or both. Well, anyway, se- scholars se- debate this. Seven times seven is is kind of forty nine. So right, but nice. it, it appears that the Jew there was the Sabbath year every seventh year, but then there was the Jubilee year, which appears to be a double year of all these things. Anyway, that's that's beside the point. But God is saying, if I've done these things for you. You need to do them for one another, basically to show that you understand what I've actually done for Dude, you. Dude, that's actually really beautiful. It's, it it's, is. It, it's 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 the the jubilee is the new commandment of love. That's exactly right. Which is one of the why in Luke's gospel, which is the gospel we're reading from this week, the first thing Jesus does publicly is is proclaim a new jubilee year. So that actually oh, yeah, matters. That's, that's right. not the reading we get this week. And they're that's... like, the boy's good. He can preach. Well, they can't believe it. And then they get kind of freaked out and try to throw him off a cliff. You mean, which is Because only a king can declare a jubilee year. So basically what he has done is a treasonous act of saying, I am the king because I'm declaring this thing. But it's a whole different backstory. I never so, realized that. It's a pretty big deal to proclaim that. They're like, wow, he's good. Hold on. Wait a second. What did you just say? <laughs> it's like, wow. <laughs> but part of that is that the up until Jesus says that, it's in Luke 4. Before Jesus says that, the last time the Jubilee is really mentioned is in Jeremiah chapter 34. So basically, God commands that they have this Jubilee every, every 49 years, that they free all these things. But they essentially don't do it. You don't get any evidence in the Old Testament that they really do this. There's a couple of times. Right. But for the most part, they totally let it slide. They drop it. Because if you think about it, if you are being oppressed or if you're poor, if you're a slave, this is great news for you. But if you're a wealthy slave owner with a lot of land, this isn't so good because it means God's trying to level the playing field and you've got to free your slaves, but you want to acquire more slaves and more land. And you're going to have to give those things up. So it requires sacrifice on your behalf. So they don't like that. But in, Jer- in Ze- okay, so in Jeremiah's time, there's a king named Zedekiah who's kind of a schmuck, and he's he's uh, he he's kind of like I, I've we've talked about I've, Zed. I've used this before, but his life is like a heart monitor. So sometimes he does the right thing, and well, he does a really that's right- Abraham. Well, he it's he- all they're all heart monitors. <laughs> it's the ups and downs. So so we're saying that this is the hospital of the scriptures. This is the scripture is the hospital of humanity. Bop, bop, Take bop. that. But basically, he's freaked out. He's like, uh-oh, things are getting bad. What do we do? Uh, uh, let's declare a Jubilee year. We haven't done that in a long time. Maybe that will give us God's favor again. Dude, that's actually, I mean, I got to say, as far as pulling the trigger on something that's interesting, I think that that's a really good one. It is. No, it's a great idea. It's just the problem is, is that you can declare things in law all you want, but it does not necessarily mean that people are going to go for it. Well, it's worse than that. So here's the thing. He basically declares this Jubilee year. It's in chapter 34. Everyone releases all their slaves. And it's amazing. He's like, everyone, release, hurry up, release your slaves, set them free. And it's good. And he's looking for God's favor. He says he makes a covenant with God that he's going to renew all this stuff. But then you get the impression that everyone lost their slaves. And they're like, well, this was really exciting and really felt good about ourselves. But now we kind of have to clean our own houses and do our own yard work. And we're kind of sick of that. 
And, so then and, they, our, and our lands are smaller. And, and our lands are smaller and this stinks. So they go back and they take back their slaves that they had released. So it's not that they didn't just do it. And God actually says, hey, it's one thing to not do it at all. It's another thing to do it and then go back on it. I would almost rather you just ignore the command altogether than do it and then lie about it and take it back. And imagine you're one of those slaves. You know, you're finally free. You're like, oh, I'm free. And then you hear the horses coming behind you to take you back to captivity. Dude, that's like Jean Valjean, man. That's like, that's it. And if you read Jeremiah 34, it's really powerfully written. And God says, basically, and this is, that is the turning point of the entire Old Testament. God says, okay, I've been warning you guys for a long time. And we've been giving a lot of if-thens. That's over now. This is the point. This is the point of demarcation. This is the line of demarcation between what happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future. He says, this is the moment that tells me you don't understand that I have set you free. You don't understand the entire act of salvation going back to the time of the Exodus. And so if you don't understand what happened in the Exodus, when I set you free from slavery to a foreign nation and I gave you land and I released your debt, well, guess what? You're going back into occupation. You're going back into slavery. You have to relearn the lesson that you didn't learn in the time of the Exodus. And he says, because you have not released the slaves and the debt and the land, I'm going to release you back into captivity. It's really, I mean, it's brutal. And so this is when Jeremiah's message changes. And now he stops saying, hey, we got to turn around. We have to repent. We have to go back to the law or else this is going to happen. His message now is new. And this is, the, this is what everything about these readings is defined on. We, we, we start this, chap, this, this, re, this first reading in chapter 4. But in chapter 1, 2, and 3, what Jeremiah's new message is, and I don't know if you read this because it's people, it's not known. And I see why people don't preach about this because I find this to be one of, if not the most difficult passage in Scripture. Well, he basically dude. says, okay, here's my new message. The Babylonians are coming. What God wants you to do is put your heads down and submit. Right. And let them take you and let them conquer the city. And if you do that, God will spare you. And if you do that, you will actually not lose your land. If you trust me on this, and if you allow yourselves to be taken by the Babylonians, I will show you my mercy. And can, I mean, imagine being the bearer of that news. <laughs> hey, your whole nation's about to be taken over. Don't fight. Just let it happen. I mean, that, that's a pretty... That's very... I mean, I don't... I mean, and of course, they don't do it. Well, not only that. I mean, they take Jeremiah, and this is where we pick up the reading. And it says the princess said to the king, Jeremiah ought to be put to death because he's demoralizing the soldiers. Yeah, I mean... And we're thrown into that passage, though, I mean, gosh, without realizing what he said to demoralize. And that's why I'm frustrated by this reading. This is... this. I mean, if there's ever anything that I feel like I'm trying to convince people of is to submit to the sufferings of their life and to understand that God is sovereign in the midst of them. Yes. It goes back to, was it not necessary like i mean and that's actually why we need our friends is to say like no hold endure the sufferings of your life because they are meaningful and god is doing something in the midst of this and that if you're if you uh, willing if you take up your cross daily i mean like those that's the shorthand version of what we're trying to say here like 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 there are things that are personally salvific for you but there's also things that are wider and more salvific in in a in a way that's mystical and bigger than we could ever even conceptualize and the fact that there's some crosses that seem absurd to take up 
Yeah. I mean, that's what Jeremiah is being shown. Yeah. We're trying to tell them. I know it looks ridiculous, but take up this cross. I mean, I'm, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself, but this is the story of the... This is why it's the turning point, I think, for everything, because... It seems absurd for Jesus Christ to take up that cross and go be killed on Calvary. Absolutely. I mean, if you're looking for a context to put this in, what do you mean an absurd cross? I mean, he submits himself to foreign occupation. He submits himself to Rome, to the corrupt Jewish officials of the time. And he says, take me. He puts out his hands to be bound, which is precisely what Jeremiah tells the people of Israel to do. Which yes. tells you that there's more to what Jesus is doing than just this individual novel thing. Mm. He's actually taking on what Israel was always called to be and to do, which is what the king is supposed to do. The king is supposed to embody his people. Right. And so, of course, Jeremiah, they don't like this. He's thrown into a pit. Um, and then some, this, 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 this official comes to King Zedekiah and he's like, well, he's going to starve. There's a famine in the city. You got to get him out. You know, maybe we need to have a little leniency. And Zedekiah, again, who is super flip floppy, he's like, oh, okay, let's bring him out. And then he brings, it's, it's actually sad if you keep reading. So they bring Jeremiah out of the pit. They kind of go in incognito. They bring him out of the pit. They bring him over to the king and Zedekiah wants this conversation with him. And he's like, tell me what's going on. And you get this, it's this moment where you're like, man, maybe there is hope for this king. He's already turned back in the Jubilee. Things are really bad for him. But now he's actually confiding in, in Jeremiah in secret. He's like, tell me what God has said to you. And Jeremiah just repeats it. He's like, this is what you need to do. And the king's like, okay, I get it. And he, he you know, he, he lets Jeremiah go. And then literally it's a few verses later that as Babylon, as Babylon is breaking down the city walls, the king makes a run for it. He does the opposite. <laughs> oh, no. And it, it's funny. It's, it, it is in this next chapter. The king makes a run for it. He makes it as far as the plains of Jericho before he's struck down by the yeah. Babylonians and he's killed. Which, the plains of Jericho, where did Israel begin to first gain the promised land? At Jericho. It was the first moment after the Exodus when they crossed the pro- into the promised oh, land. Yeah. That's where they acquire the promised land or they begin to it. Where do they finally lose it? In the plains of Jericho. The story, the entire story of salvation history is coming full circle. And they lose the land on the plains of Jericho in an act of cowardice, whereas they gain the land in an act of courage, marching around the city of of Jericho seven times or whatever it was. Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, there's there's so much going on in these chapters. And letting God fight the battle for them. Exactly. And this is precisely when they're saying, no, we're going to take it up again. Exactly. It's it's actually anti, it's, we're actually being demonstrated the exact opposites of what the true spirit of reliance exactly and right. trust and, and belief and that, that God will fight the power that God is with us. Exactly that, like, right. Wow. Yeah. It's this, intense. This is intense. This is actually really wild in this, this, this cistern. But without that context, I don't think you can totally make sense of all these. I mean, I guess on a surface level, you can, you can definitely connect these. There's sufferings, there's being free, there's, there's trusting in God. But to have the whole context, you're like, oh man, that blows everything up. Yeah. Because then you get the Psalm, right? Lord, come to my aid. Psalm 40, right? I waited, I waited for the Lord and he stooped down toward me. This prayer, Lord, come to my aid. I mean, <laughs> I almost imagine Jeremiah praying this prayer. As he's sitting in the cistern, or, or maybe even before that, as he's totally being ridiculed for these messages that he's giving, saying they have to repent, saying they're not as great as they think they are. Lord, come to my aid. And the Lord comes to his aid. But what's the Lord's answer? Tell them to submit to the foreign occupation. 
oh, thank you, God, for answering my <laughs> prayer. I mean, that's oh. how, and Zedekiah probably yeah. praying, God, come to my aid, help me out. Okay, I'll help you out, but you have to submit to the cross first. I mean, the Lord will always come to our aid if we ask him. It's just not always going to be in the form that we expect it. So hearing that psalm, Lord, come to my aid, knowing that the answer seems like this absurdity, seems like this thing, why would I ever do that? Right. Why would you ask me to do that? But if we have the courage to actually submit to what God is asking of us to obey, it's really less about submission and more about just obedience. Do you trust me? It's this, I, th- I think about Abraham again, the, the reading we had couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, that Abraham took Isaac up on the mountain to be sacrificed with the belief, according to Hebrews, that he believed God can raise him from the dead mm. if this happens. Mm. I trust, even though this sounds ridiculous, right. I trust that God can bring the dead back to life because I have to, because I don't know what else to believe. So I'm going to obey Knowing the, that there's something on the other side. These stories are like critical. I'm actually reflecting upon the, the nature of, of what a story does to help us. I mean, every story has a moral. It tells us to how, how we're going to go through the world. Moral, not Or how not to go through the world. Exactly. Like how to or how not to. And like, and, and how becoming familiar with how these prefigurements of Christ actually demonstrate a, a real way to go through the world. It makes all the difference. I mean, because you're saying, oh, okay, yeah. hold on, Th- this is a foreign occupation, because Christ does everything in the most like condensed, distilled, like super abundant manner that like you can unpack everything. But then you see kind of the the unpacking within this this moment of saying like, yes, okay, you know what, you ask for help and you're gonna get it, but but the way in which it's gonna come is always gonna be it, is more creative than what we. That's um, a nice way to put it. Yeah, than what we, we think. And it's going to be a deeper, wider, more abundant, generous redemption. Yes, absolutely. It, even though it, like, it takes authentic sacrifice. And I was listening to um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. and Oh, yeah. He wrote that book. Tipping Point. The Tipping Point. Yeah, yeah. He has a podcast called Revisionist History, which kind of, you know, kind of wrangles me a little bit, the, the name of the... The thing, but he had a, he had a, a an interesting um, a notion about like how do you actually the the only real way to affect change in the world is by authentic sacrifice. He the made only, that point. Say that one more time. The only real way to uh, uh, affect authentic change within the world is through authentic sacrifice. Yes. Real sacrifice. Yeah, hundred percent. You actually. And this have is from to, a secular point of view. This is from a secular a, point of view. This is a, a logic. It is logical. I it mean, is there is logical. reason that will lead you to this fact. Absolutely, yeah. but 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 you add faith into the midst of all of this, and you and you actually get a chance to discover that, wow, we have we have really the one who sacrificed it all, so that we may live, and that we are meant to follow in His way. We are we are people of the way, which is precisely really what the second reading says. From Hebrews chapter yes. 12, right? Yes. Brothers and sisters, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, a people like of Jeremiah, the way, yeah. a people of the way, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us and persevere in running the race that lies before us while keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the leader and perfecter of our faith. That line, though, let us rid ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us. 
and I think back to Zedekiah, the king. Mm. There is a burden. I mean, aside from the fact that he's just kind of a jerk and he makes a lot of bad decisions, <laughs> there is a burden. I mean, imagine being a king who's told, submit your whole nation to a foreign occupier. That's a good idea. I mean, imagine the burden of, but we, even if he wasn't a terrible king, this burden of, but I've all, these people are counting on me. Right. Like they rely on me. Mm-hmm. I am their king. I am in control. I, I am in control of their lives and their livelihoods and their futures. And you're asking me to hand that over? Mm. And what God is essentially saying to Zedekiah is, you need to hand over the whole burden of your leadership to me, the whole burden of your kingship, of your kingdom, of your land, of your money, of your finances, your military. That burden needs to be handed over to me. Yeah. And that burden has become sinful to him because it is all about him and his control and his authority and his decision making and all that stuff. And that's never what Israel was supposed to be from the beginning. Right. It was always God's kingdom in the hands of the sons of men. Yes. And that's what Chronicle Second Chronicles says. God's kingdom the what? in the hand the Second the, Chronicles. The Chronic? The the what? Chronic what? Chronicles the, of Narnia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I was that as I was reading through that, that was the line that stuck out more than anything else, ridding ourselves of every burden and sin that clings to us. And sometimes that burden is, there's no way I can take on that cross because not only might it hurt me, but I'm going to look foolish. It's going to be too heavy. What if I fail? What if I don't, what if I'm not successful? What if it hurts the people around me? What if, you know, all of these what ifs, which are these burdens and sins that we carry that keep us from picking up the cross that God gave us. I'll look like a fool. It's absurd. Everyone's going to make fun of me. Self-protective. It's all those Whatever things. it is. Yeah. All those things. I mean, I'm just thinking of like, really, when was the last time something clung to you? You mean literally? Yeah, literally. Uh, I was mountain biking through the mud two days ago in Vail. Right. And a lot of mud clung to me. Okay, but the mud clung. To, yeah, I'm think, also thinking about like last time I was like really sweating in my shirt. Sick. And the shirt like clung to me. Like okay, the, uh, that kind of clinging. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I mean, last time I was in a pool. Like I, I got out of the pool and my shirt clung to me. Yeah, that's fair. And like, so it's like I don't know. It's and it's hard. And then yeah, it's, it's hard and, to get off. And it's and a burden. Awkward. It, and like that's the thing is like, yeah. like we work and we we labor under these things. Yeah. And it actually pour and it stinks and it yeah. doesn't. It and it so every burden and sin that clings to us. Yeah. So we have a great cloud of witnesses. Who are the great cloud of witnesses? They're the ones who have washed their robes clean in the right. blood of the lamb. Like Jeremiah. Like Jeremiah. Even though his whole life was spent in this misery and this being mocked and his life threatened, thrown in cisterns, locked up in chains. In mud. He, in he, mud, he got covered in mud. He yeah. did. They clinged to him. And then you get the end of Hebrews about now Jesus, he endured the cross despite despising its shame and has now taken up a seat at the right of the throne of God. It's like the, the letter of Philippians says it's only because and through his supreme self emptying that he is now has the name, which is above all names and sits upon the throne of God. That was the access point to glory. Dude, I, I, I was, I actually was really laid out by something particular. Normally I talk all the time. Like I, I just, I'm constantly talking and um, when I was when I went out to Living Waters, I tried to make it a real point to not talk very much. Mm. I just wanted to like be present and be present to other people and yeah. receive them. Like, and you, you know, I'm still. All of us are going to talk, but particularly in leading my small group, like I just didn't. I didn't really talk as much as I would have normally. I just tried to receive people as they are. 
And at the end of it, what ended up happening is that people like actually came to know me even without speech. Wow. And, and they like spoke a blessing to me, the, oh. this group that I really didn't share very much. I shared just a little bit at the very beginning, maybe five minutes of sharing out of a week. Wow. And, and at the end, they came to know me. And that's like one of the things that I think that we become afraid of is that if I empty myself and I actually just like let go and and really become for the other and to mm. actually pour out and to pour out in the sense of receiving and loving another that in the middle of that we become known and like yeah. it's actually it's it's impossible not to know somebody in the midst of of, of their openness and generosity towards you it's it's this right. crazy beautiful example of of like we can we can cling to these things, these identities, these these moments that that we're, we're putting out into the world to say this is going to make us safe. It's going to make yes. us loved. It's going to make us all these things. Um, it's going to ma- make me feel intimacy. It's going to make me feel, um, y- you know, like I'm okay. I'm going to have stress relief. But it's those burdens and those sins that, mm-hmm. as they cling to us, rather than making us known, they actually obscure the fact that we are that that we can we can actually throw off those encumbrances and right. like, and so, and, and even to the point on sh- of shedding blood and yes. still be known. I mean, like that's, that's where we are. And we go and we go to Jesus Christ. What is Jesus always saying? I just am telling you what I've received from the father. Yeah. He's like this. And that's this, what Jeremiah is saying. It's and, almost a direct quote. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, Jesus receives a little differently because he, because, <laughs> because they're kind of one, Yeah, you know, but the, the same. Yeah. But also Jeremiah reminds us that that's actually, that's it's, it's doable. Right. Like we're not Jesus. But right. God can convey that to us as well through the son. I mean, that's what, that's what the, the gospel reading is all about. Dude, your transitions today are baller. Well, Dude, they're just right on. It's not me. It's them. It is. It's the scriptures. <laughs> so, and, and in this, con- so this is, mm, this is one of those passages that always, it's just always kind of bugged me, but having the context of these other readings really changes everything. Mm. So this is that the passage in Luke chapter 12. And so I, you guys have probably heard this before. Jesus says to his disciples, I have come to set fire to the earth and how I wish it were already blazing. There's a baptism which I'm, with which I must be baptized and how great is my anguish until it's accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three Oof. against two, two against three. Father will be divided against his son, son against his father, mother against his daughter. In-laws are problematic, all these things. Um, but is that do you think I've come to bring peace? No, I've come to bring division. Dude, that's which, like so important to understand. Put it in the context of Jeremiah, though, and you begin to see like, oh, it's not that he wants people to be fighting with each other. No. It's that the message is so difficult at times that people will just reject it. He doesn't want Jeremiah. God doesn't will Jeremiah to be thrown into a cistern. He just doesn't. He wills that people listen and heed the words that he gave Jeremiah to speak. Right. But he also knows the reality is these people are just a mess and kind of a disaster. So they're probably not. It doesn't mean the truth shouldn't be spoken. It just it doesn't mean we should shy away from it. But the reality is this is going to be the result. Well, this is, this but, is the thing is, is I think you have to be careful because Jeremiah is so submitted hmm. that what happens, what, what is the cistern? What is the pit? And you get covered in the, the, the stuff of the pit. You have the, you have the, the tomb and the resurrection. Yeah. You actually have the prophetic gesture of what Israel would go through if it would be willing to listen to the word of the Lord. Yes, it will actually absolutely get taken down to the very yes. depths, but it will be raised up. 
Not only that, but the so take it from this point of view, this division that Jesus is talking about, could it be that I didn't come to bring peace but bring division? Could it be that the division itself will bear the fruit of salvation? Mm. The fact that people are divided, the fact that people will have to suffer the pain of why, why, you know, I'm, there's so many, I know a lot of our students who are like, they're trying to live out their faith. They're going to daily mass and they're being judged by their parents for that. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, talk about a weird, like, wait a second, I'm trying to live out my Catholic faith. You, I was born into the Catholic faith, but my parents are not nearly as strong in it. And so they're actually kind of making fun of me and judging me and shaming me for being serious about, I mean, talk about a, but that suffering, I mean, taking that on and be like, man, but taking that pain can actually bring salvation. We had a, I got to know a guy over the summer who, and I, I can't go into his story, but he, um, he had parents who were just kind of coming from a really hard place and really experienced a lot of hard things because of his parents and some bad decisions his parents made. And he made a lot of bad decisions, came to this huge conversion in college and somehow, and he wasn't the kind of guy that necessarily was prone to do this, but he, he felt called by God to actually sit his parents down and talk to them and like call them out and be like, Hey, this is what you guys have done to me in this way. And it totally worked. Like they converted like crazy. Like they they went to confession. They're like, yes, you're right. We see it. They went to confession. They're like daily communicants now. Wow. But this pain of this division between him and his parents actually ended up in the end bringing life to the entire family. Right. In this profound way. But I mean, to read that passage, because I've come to bring fire on the earth. You know, fire in the Bible can either be a sign of God's love or a sign of purgation or a sign of punishment. It can be all of those things. And sometimes Mm. it's all three rolled into one. Right. God's love plus purgation plus some punishment. Jesus takes all of those onto himself through an act of love. And the baptism, which with I am about to be baptized, that's clear. That's the cross. All of those things we get that that brings about salvation. But the division, could it be that that actually can work for God's good as well? I I don't know. It's it's just a fascinating way to read that. The division isn't just, it's not just Jesus saying, hey, I came to bring division, so tough break. You're going to have lots of fights. Oh, well. But I came to bring division. You're going to have lots of fights. People might reject what you have to say. But in the end, that rejection can even be salvific. It's the pattern of what the reason why the lessons needed to actually be learned for Jeremiah. Yes, exactly. And, uh, uh, with and we can look back and be like, oh, I see it. Yes. Because he suffered these things. I get it. Exactly. Thousands of years later. But yet, uh, yeah, and so it's uh, and there's good ways and bad ways and all, and yet, like we need to know this story mm. because you can say it within the sweet and condensed version of Jesus, right? But you come back and you actually see a context within Jeremiah, and you you're getting a wider, more 3D perspective, and you yeah. can say like, goodness, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing right now? And mm. can I have courage? What is my invitation? Mm. How do I actually draw people back into this tremendous mystery? Yeah. How do I invite them back so that they can see? Because um, I've seen it uh, more than not. People who like start living r- like real religious lives, it's very frightening for parents. Yeah, It's very frightening for peers because right. they're saying like, are they going to judge me? Are they right. going to say, are they going to condemn me? Right. And that's precisely where the new commandment of love comes back in. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, I give you a new commandment of love. Yeah. That's love it, one man. of those I've loved you, which means a real sacrifice on our part. Yeah. Love is not just, oh, let's all get along and be nice to each other. Love 
can be harsh <laughs> at yeah. times. And, and, and it involves us actually putting, risking something. Yeah. Risking Always. something on the line and f- f- for the right reasons and Always. not, and not for self-protection or sins or burdens that cling to us. Mm. So a female deer, Ray, a drop of golden sun, me, a we name I call this. myself. We got to wrap up this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. Love you guys. You are wonderful. Um, you know, I want you all to, to invite somebody to listen to a podcast. You're going to have to show them how to use podcasts. Um, but not necessarily. I mean, but just it's just like invite somebody. I, I really want. I want this podcast to blow up. Blow it up, because um, um, personally, I think it's one of the very best Catholic podcasts that exists in the world. My goodness, of the, the seven. <laughs> yeah, the, the, <laughs> no, there's a, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're in the top ten de facto. <laughs> so like, <laughs> ten of twelve. Ten of twelve, everybody. Oh man. God bless you. We'll All see right. you soon. See you next week. Bye bye. Bye. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.